So, as a kid growing up, uh, I had a certain style that I was pretty keen on. Uh, if I were to label it, it'd probably be called comfortable. <laughs> uh, probably till about senior year, I grew up in Southern California, so I can get away with this. Probably until about senior year of high school, every day I wore the same thing. Basketball shorts, uh, t-shirt, and a baseball hat. And then depending on if it was like, you know, below 75, I'd throw on a hoodie. And so, but that was the normal, uh, the normal clothes for me. In fact, the shorts themselves were a must. Uh, if, if we had church and, and I was going to wear maybe cargo shorts or, or pants, I, I still would have basketball shorts underneath. And my, and my thought process was, you know, just in case the basketball game breaks out, I need to be ready to go. And you know what? It actually, it actually did break out a couple of times and I was prepared. Uh, and, and so right now, in fact, there's a debate in my family uh, to this day on whether or not I was wearing basketball shorts underneath my tux at my wedding. I'm going to let that linger longer. Amen. <laughs> but to me, my shorts, they were sacred. It was just, it was a part of my identity. It was a part of who I was. My daughters, they are coming to an age now where they are deciding what they want to wear. Even this morning, my youngest daughter, we, we thought she looked really nice. She had a different opinion. And she made, us, made it very clear that she had a different opinion. And we gave her her red sweater. And then she did this. And she twirled and she thought she looked beautiful in the mirror. And that's, she's not even two yet. And so, but, but, but I think this idea of we have our, our own style. We have our own things. And I think, you know, all of us, we, we have things we hold on to as sacred. They're, they're sacred in our lives. Growing up in my household, uh, we had a very sacred night that was very important. And that, we called it West Wing Night. We watched, well, they, my parents watched West Wing and we were not allowed to talk to them. <laughs> there was sometimes even a sign on the door, do not enter unless someone's dying. And that's what I read. This, this was sacred. It was West Wing Night. And the idea behind it was if you, if you interrupt, they'll miss something. And I've seen the show and I get that. But to them, to my family, this was sacred. And, and we've got things in our life like that, right? I, I love having my parents up here. My mom calling me Jeffrey's going to go well with my students. Amen. But, but we have things that are sacred to us. But I think so often what we can do is we can get fixated on what's sacred to us and miss out on what's sacred to God. And so today, the title of my sermon is A Sacred Style. You know, one fear I have is one of the things, you know, when it comes to things that are sacred, is that we allow people in our lives or the world to dictate what is sacred, as opposed to looking at what God has deemed sacred. And oftentimes, especially in a religious culture, right, we saw Jesus abolish the old covenant in the scriptures. So by default, we take a casual approach to Christ. Well, Jesus, you know, he got rid of that old law. So we're going to do kind of I got this I got this freedom in Christ and we take it to the full advantage. And so we take a lot of liberties when it comes to the scriptures. We take a lot of liberties when it comes to how we worship God, because our, our default mode is, well, God will know my heart and God will understand because I have this freedom in Christ. And, and what we do then is we take that mentality, that mindset, and then we look at the scriptures. And when we see things that contradict 
our worldly perspective, because we've taken so many liberties, we read the scriptures and oftentimes can read it becoming angry at God. Let me give you a few biblical examples. If you were to read 2 Samuel 6, it's a story where God kills Uzzah for touching the ark. They're, they're on the road and the cart hits a pothole and the, the ark starts to fall. And so Uzzah, trying to protect the ark of the covenant, grabs it and stops it. He saves the ark and then God kills him for disobeying the law of touching it. In our minds, it seems like this is such a little mistake. He, he did more good than harm here. And it had extreme consequences. And we can read this story, at least I know I can, saying that seems a little unfair. You know, we read 1 Samuel 13 and we read about Saul. And he makes a sacrifice to God. And that sacrifice to God ends up costing him his entire kingdom. Because he did it in an unworthy manner. Saul was supposed to wait uh, for Samuel to come. But Samuel hasn't shown for seven days. And so they're about to go to war. And Samuel's like, hey, we want to give glory to God. Or Saul's like, hey, we want to give glory to God here first. But he was supposed to wait for Samuel. And since he didn't wait, he lost his kingdom. And God started looking at David. And we could look at this going, what's up? He was, all he was doing was trying to glorify God. And we can deem that as unfair. Yeah. Numbers 20. Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land because he hit a rock instead of talking to it. Moses, who, who led the people out of slavery. Moses, who's been God's chosen person, who's, who's been the man and gone through a lot. And he has this moment where he hits a rock. He doesn't hit a person. He just, he takes his anger out on the rock. And God says, because of your anger, I'm not going to let you win to that promised land. Again, it seems like an overreaction from God. We read Acts 5. We see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And we know this story. They held back some of their, their, their what they sold to God. And they lied about it. They exaggerated a little bit. But they still gave to God. We all exaggerate probably more than we'd like to care to admit, right? I'm telling Todd there was 400 people here this week. No, I'm just kidding. But, but, <laughs> but we all seem to exaggerate every once in a while. And, and in that moment, God said, no, you're done. You're dead. Oh, you're going to lie about it too? You're dead too. It seems like this pretty harsh punishment coming from someone who was trying to worship God. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us that some have become sick and even have died because of the way, the manner in which they took communion. They took communion in an unworthy manner. If Paul's not exaggerating here, do you think it would be okay if you and I died because we didn't have our hearts in the right place during communion? Well, that would just seem unfair. But that was what was going on. And as we, as we look at these scriptures, it's very easy to feel like these crimes that were committed are a little extreme. And, and we can even get to a point of where we feel upset or we feel angry because God does not look like a loving God. God does not look like a just God. But the question you have to ask yourself is when you start to think this is, why do I think this way? Why do I feel this way? I think the reality is we don't truly understand what it means for something to be sacred. I just don't think in the world we live in, we get it. 
I don't. And I'm the first to admit there's some things I just don't get. I mean, you know, I didn't understand when I moved to Texas how sacred that song is. Stars at night and how proud they are of the flag here. I get it now. But in California, it's like, oh, we got a flag. I think there's a bear on it. You get what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference. But there are things that we, as a society, hold sacred. And, and you, will not, you will not take this from us. But when it comes to God, we have a different view. And the things that God wants us to hold sacred, we choose our opinions over that. I believe the world we live in right now sees humans as the highest authority. We are the ones who will dictate right from wrong. And we are quick to scream something is unfair when it doesn't agree with our moral compass. Yet we're not as quick to scream when things are unfair when it comes to God. There are things in this world that belong to God. There are things in this world that are sacred. It was his ark of the covenant that was touched that he said not to. It was his offering that Saul made. It was his command to Moses. It was his offering that Ananias and Sapphira were making at the temple. It was his holy communion. This is his sacred church. And I think the reality is is we oftentimes forget that. These things are God's. You know, we talked about this uh, on Wednesday night in our midweek. God has rules for us. And the reason is because he wants to be with us. Because he's guiding towards us. Hey, just follow what I put before you. And, and, and we can be together. And it seems like God's always having to change the rules because we keep drawing farther and farther away from him. And then we get mad when God doesn't make compromises. You know, we look at these past situations in the Old and New Testament. People rushed into something. They, they couldn't, you know, uh, excuse me, Saul couldn't wait. So he made the sacrifice. The the cart that fell, they didn't make the proper preparations and they were in a hurry. And that's why it was bouncing up and down and stumbled. And and so they weren't prepared to do what God asked them. And then they became shocked when things happened. But the reality is, is they shouldn't have been shocked. I think the reality is, is, and for all of us, we should be humbled. When we look at these things, okay, what things in my life am I not holding sacred because they're God's? What things of God am I taking advantage of? You know, advantage of? And, and I think we should start to thank God, honestly, if we look at the scriptures, start to thank God for his mercy. Yeah. <laughs> like, dear Lord, thank you. I know I don't deserve this. Yeah. And we got to start treating things like the sacred things they are and the sacred things these things deserve. But, you know, I get it. We live in a world where people are constantly rushing into things. We have a short life to live, so let's hurry up and live it. You know, I, even kind of the younger generations, our, our vernacular has changed over time just because we want to get as many words into a short amount of time so you get what I mean so I can keep moving on. I mean, everything is rushed now. That's just the world we live in. And we don't want to feel like we're missing out. You know, during family dinners growing up, one of my favorite nights that we had all together was steak and potato night. It was wonderful. And, you know, I I had my system. I I wouldn't put two things on my plate at once. I would do my steak. I would eat it. And then I'd go and I had this whole, it was like a presentation, this whole thing with my potato. I'd open it up. I'd get all the fixings on it. It basically became cheese, sour cream, and bacon with a side of potato. That's ended up what it looked like. But my fear was, is there wasn't going to be enough. And so I ate my steak rather quick. 
because there's four of us in our family and sometimes five steaks were made and I could do the math. And if I finished first, that was going to be mine. You know what I'm saying? So there was this rush. I, I, I wanted what was mine and at least I thought was mine. So I'm going to do what I do quickly so I can get more. And I think we kind of as a society, we, we have this same thought process. We rush into things. We're, we're quick to get through things because we don't want to miss out. But I think we need to see what God is trying to do right in front of us. How God is trying to get us to slow down so we can honor him. So we can worship him. So we can be with him. Amen. 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 So we're going to be in Luke chapter 13. And although Jesus did abolish the old covenant, there are things that he still told us we need to be careful of. And we got to make sure we don't water down the word for our own convenience. Because it's not ourselves we're serving, but God. Yeah. So in Luke 13, he tells us a story about Jesus that I believe will paint a picture of what I'm trying to discuss today. So Luke 13, verse 10, it reads, <coughs> On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman! That's my favorite part in the book. Jesus says, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and she praised God. Jesus out teaching and a woman who's been crippled for many years is in the audience. First, I want to recognize the perseverance in the strength of this woman. She's been hurting for 18 years. I'm sure she's tried many doctors. She's tried many healers and nothing has happened. Yet on the Sabbath, she was at a place where she could publish, publicly worship God. This woman had gone through a lot, suffered a lot, but still had not given up going to God. A question for us to consider this morning. How much suffering does it take for you to give up on God? This woman, 18 years, she's been going to different places, trying to fix it. But that doesn't keep her away from, from going to where she needs to be on the Sabbath. And you know, when I first read this passage, my instinct was, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure the reason she went, she heard Jesus was there. She's trying to get healed. Like, you know, nothing else has worked. And, and we can, we can kind of get that vibe, right? We talked about this last week with the blind man of Bartimaeus, where he's, sorry, the blind man named Bartimaeus was yelling, Jesus, you know, I'm sick. Here, help me. Jesus, son of David. And he's yelling at him, trying to get his attention. But we don't see that same thing here. In fact, we see something different because at this point in the story, she, nobody's really been healed. On the Sabbath. And if this is where she's from and this is where she goes, we'll see later on that the synagogue leader uh, had some, you know, issues with people being healed on the Sabbath. So she wasn't coming to Jesus to be healed. She was coming to Jesus just to listen. Wow. She had no ulterior motives. She just wanted to come and worship God. Her showing up, she had no idea she'd be healed that day. We don't see her ask for it. In fact, Jesus invites her up. He sees her and says, woman, come to me. Woman, your, your faith has healed you. Come to me and I will help you. This woman chose God. And in his sacred things, over the trouble she was having in her life. 
Can we honestly say we'd make this the same decision if it was put on us today? Good question. I, I think I, I struggle with that. You know, this morning I was trying to figure out, should I preach? You know, I, I have a little bit of energy, but I sound like this. And it's like, ah, well, maybe. And I start to, to look for a reason not to. It's like, I'm not, I just, I don't know if I'm feeling up to it. But, but I think that's, that's our natural mentality. What is the way I can get out of being with God today? And it shouldn't be. This woman is such an example for all of us. And, you know, there's a man, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. There's a man in, in my life growing up, a guy I'll never forget. His name was Patrick Reed. And Patrick had cancer and he was dying. And the Sunday before he died, he makes a decision, you know, and he's just, he's going to be at church. That, that was his heart. And he grabbed me at church and he said, I, I just had to be here to tell you I love you. And he wrote me a card and he handed it to me and there was a couple other people he did that with. Uh, for Patrick, his relationships were sacred. And he wasn't going to let death or illness get in the way of that. And, and today, that's, that image in my mind, I, I don't know if haunts the right word, but it, it's, it stays with me. And, and in a good way, it motivates me. Because I see someone who knew they were, I mean, he ended up dying a couple days later. He, he knew he was going to go. He, he had his, 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 his like IV thing and his oxygen, but he, he was at church because he just wanted to see his friends. He just wanted to tell us, hey, I'll see you soon. And, and, it, and to this day, it, it, still, it, it still rocks me because it, for him, his relationships were sacred. There was nothing that was going to stand in the way of those relationships. And I look at the crippled woman here and there was nothing that was going to stand in the way of her and her God. Not her illness, not the excuses, not what anybody else thought, you know, there was nothing that was going to stay in the way of her and her relationship with God. But people wanted to stay in the way. Let's read on Luke 14, 13, verse 14. <clears throat> Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on one of those days, not on the Sabbath. That's hilarious to me, and I'll get into that in a moment. So think about this. This woman's been sick for 18 years, and this is probably, we'll call it her home church, her home temple, her home synagogue. And there's a good chance that she's probably talked to the healers and maybe even this guy about being healed quite a few times, and this guy hasn't figured out how to do it. And then the craziest miracle happens. This woman that he's known, he's seen, is healed. She starts rejoicing and he throws a fit. Jesus did something that nobody else could do. And this man was more concerned about his Sabbath. But was he really concerned about his Sabbath? Or was he feeling inferior? Was he feeling insecure that I couldn't do something this traveling preacher could do? And so he used the law to try to advocate his point to make up why things shouldn't happen. And I'm sitting here going, are you blind? He's done something. Jesus healed someone who hasn't been healed. Everybody's rejoicing. It's a party and you're ruining it. A woman has been healed. And she, all she wants to do now is worship God, which is why you have the temple. She can start coming more. Maybe she can work and give more. Yeah. And, and he's just angry. Wow. Now I'm going to use the Sabbath as a reason why this 
should not happen. What I realize from this is we have a tendency to water down what's important when it doesn't fit our agenda. If the scriptures fit our agenda, we're more than happy to tell people about them. <laughs> Let me show you this scripture right here that I have memorized or saved on my phone. You know, I, I've got a list of ones that fit me perfectly. And we do that because they don't fit our agenda. You know, one of the things that encourages me is we had a, a ton of brothers and sisters who didn't water down Christianity. You know, nearly 300 years before Christianity was legalized by Constantine's followers of Jesus faced terrible persecution. So Christians, they began to build about, I think it was nearly 600 miles or so of catacombs beneath and around the city of Rome. And these catacombs were underground tombs where Christians often gathered to worship, excuse me. And in fact, sometimes, you know, because of intense persecution, this is, this is also where they died. So they'd be worshiping near their dead brothers and sisters. They just wanted a place in which they could worship God. And so we got a slide here. Archaeologists who have explored the catacombs have found a common inscription scattered throughout them. And it says, uh, this is the Greek word, Ichikis, or Ich, excuse me, Ichthis. And, and it's a, a, a caustic poem or caustic word that means Jesus Christ, God's son, the savior. And so this right here, this symbol is the, you know, I, I'm not, the I or the iota uh, is the first letter of Isos, which is Greek for Jesus. I'm sure I'm butchering all these, but I apologize. Chi is the first letter of Christos, which is Greek for anointed of the Lord. Theta is the first letter of Theto, which is Greek word for gods. Um, you know, Upsilon is the first letter of Ios, which is Greek for son. And Sigma is the first letter uh, of Soter, which is Greek for savior. And when you put those letters all together, it makes like a pinwheel. And so you would see these in the tombs. And in fact, if you go down there, you can see these pinwheels that say, that say it's, it's this across. And this is how they knew Christians were here. This is Christians worshiped here and it was a sign of their suffering. It was a reminder for them that, hey, we're still in this. Yes, up there, there's intense persecution and, and Christians are dying. But down here together, we worship and we connect. You know, it's interesting. Later on, that symbol got an upgrade. And now it's those Jesus fish that you see on the back of cars. And on necklaces. And, and, that's, and that's what they're called. They're called the ichthys. I'm sure I'm butchering this, but it, that's what it's called. And it's interesting how this thing was, this pinwheel was like this, this circle of hope. It was the sign that Christians were here. And now, if we're completely honest, whenever you see a fish on the back of your car, your first thought is, I wonder if they're actually a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like, did they, maybe they're just a fisherman and they just got confused. I don't, you know, like, but... But you knew this symbol was sacred. It stood for something. It meant something. It had, it had power in it because men and women showed it as a sign of faith. Hey, we're going to hold on to this. And I'm not trying to downplay the fish car. I feel really bad if you have one on yours. I apologize. <laughs> but the question is, is, are we watering down the sacred things? Are, are we watering them down to fit our agenda? If I could be so bold for a moment, in a world where we as humans tend to dictate what is sacred, I think we have decided that some sin in our lives is sacred, while others is not, and others is not worth talking about. We believe sin is important, 
There's some, but, and it needs to be discussed. Where there's other sin in our life, well, that's just between me and God. I'm going to work this out with fear and trembling on my own. And, and we hold back when God clearly states, no, all things must be brought to light. We pick and choose what we want to talk about because we feel like there's an image for us that we must protect. But what we don't realize is that small sin that you won't talk about is the very thing pulling you further and further away from God. It's the very thing that's crippling your relationship and it's going to hurt you in the long run. And I pray that that's not true with any of us, but I know the odds are it probably is true with most of us. It is because we got to protect ourselves. We have to protect our style and we hold on to things. I think God chose to show us through his mercy, through his scriptures, that things that we look at as not a big deal are a big deal to God. The things that we think are small to him, they're not small. They're huge. And and we start, we we justify it. Come on, it's, it's not that big a deal, God. Why did you overreact with Saul? Why did you overreact with Ananias and Sapphira? He said, because I said so. And we have to be okay with it. We hate that from our parents, but you can't argue with God. And it's true. God loves us so much. Trust me. This is how it is. And he wants us to fall. The synagogue leader was frustrated because he was arguing over the wrong thing. He was frustrated because he had his own agenda and he didn't want to look bad. And so he made the scriptures. He emphasized the scriptures that he felt would help him look the best. So look how Jesus responds. Luke 13, verse 15. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it to water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. Yup. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. He backed it up there. They were frustrated, but his life wasn't about just putting people down. In fact, it was quite the opposite. His goal was to brace people up, help people feel God's love, help people feel connected to their creator. Jesus makes it very clear that on the Sabbath, people were willing to do the things that met their own needs and own standards, but they would avoid the things that would make them avoid their neighbors. That they just didn't want to love If they didn't want to love and they wanted to do what they wanted to do and they were going to twist the law, however they saw fit. And Jesus had an issue with that. they were being called out for following the laws in the way that met their needs. Things were no longer sacred. People just wanted it to be convenient. And I think Jesus had an issue with that. And I think so should we. Jesus's anger was not that they were not observing the Sabbath. That was not his anger at all. His frustration came was when they pick and chose what they wanted to follow. And I think for us this morning, that's the question we have to ask. Are we doing that with God? Are we pick and choosing what he has told us? And and then we pick and choose what we want to follow. I hope not. I hope not at all. Because I, I believe that this woman, this crippled woman is such a great example for all of us to imitate. For 18 years, she had been coming. 
faithful, hoping to get healed, but it wasn't going to shy her away from connecting with her God. She remained consistent in the things that she kept sacred, even though sometimes physically that was difficult. What a great example for all of us to follow. So my takeaway from all of this is to know that you have an amazing God who loves you. Who all, who all he wants is to have a relationship with each and every one of us. He pours his heart into us. He poured his heart into his son as his son died on the cross and, and separated from his father for your sins and for mine. And he says, look, I'll do whatever it takes for you to be with me. And he has. And he's always remained faithful to us. So our takeaway is to be like this crippled woman and always remain faithful to him. No matter what circumstances bring to us, we always remain faithful. And I think in that, we got to make a decision that we're not going to presume that God is unjust when things happen that we don't understand. We're not going to presume that God is unfair because things don't happen in the way that we think is best for us. And we have to make a decision that we're going to not water down the things that God has deemed important. That God has deemed valuable and holy. And finally, we've got to make a decision, decision that we will not waver on the things that God has made sacred to set our own agenda. And I think when we make these decisions, I think we'll start to see God more and more speaking through our lives. It'll be a joy to do the things God asks from us because we have the heart to do that. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Love you.